Well, it took him a little while, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. finally delivering on uh, some promise, uh, hitting uh, not one, but two, his first two Major League homers during the Jays game last night. Swing and a drive. Get up, ball. Get out of here. And gone. A two-homer night for Vladdy Jr. We thought he was getting close last week at Rogers Center, and he has arrived. And also arriving is our good pal Mike Arsenault from a Global News to discuss this and other uh, sporting matters. And uh, did it take a little too long for that first homer? I mean, big night, two homers. But did it take a little while to get there? It did. And we talked about this before his first game, Jeff, that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has never struggled at any level in professional baseball until he got to the major league. So it's a very difficult situation to struggle in your first month with the big club. But what was happening is a lot of pitchers were pitching to him like a veteran. They're trying to pick corners, throwing him a lot of off-speed pitches. Typically, when a rookie comes up, they give him fastballs, see what the kid can do. So it's just more of a matter of pitchers were making great pitches against him. Now we're seeing some balls go over the plate. And last night... Two mistakes, and he crushed two mistakes for his first two home runs of his career. All right, so do we expect this to be a real launching pad for Guerrero Jr.? Can we expect this on a night-in and night-out basis as he gets more and more used to Major League pitching? I think he will get a lot more comfortable. As you see, I mean, most pitchers that he's faced so far, he's never seen them before. So as he kind of develops a book on pitchers around the American League, especially the American League East, considering how many times you see the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Orioles, and the Rays, he will get a lot more comfortable. And I mean, just last night, going three for four with a walk, so he's showing that patience at the plate. That looks good as well. He increased his average by almost 50 points just in that one game. He's now hitting just under 240. So I think we will continue to see him. He's not going to hit two home runs every game, obviously, but I think he will end up as the top hitter on the Jays roster by the end of the season. As great as last night was, two homers, it's not too often somebody gets their first two home runs in the same game. I think we're all still waiting. Probably uh, Guerrero Jr. himself is. Uh, he wants that dinger at home. He wants a dinger uh, at Rogers Center. Oh, it's going to be insane when he for, when he actually does hit that first home run at home. The crowd will just go absolutely berserk. But another uh, big point to make on the two homes last night, San Francisco is a big park, and it's not easy to hit balls far in San Francisco. So the fact that he hit almost 900 feet of home runs last night, that portends, again, very well for Vladdy to really get hot as we move further into the spring and the summer. Okay, uh, Raptors, they of course are the story du jour when it comes to sports here in the uh, city of Toronto, and rightfully so. They open up the Eastern Conference Final later tonight in Milwaukee. Mike, what do you make of their chances, and what do you think about uh, Kawhi Leonard? Because there's been a lot of talk coming out of the Philadelphia series that the Raps relied a little too heavily on their superstar, and if they're going to get past Milwaukee and into the final, they got to get contributions from some other players. Is it time to burst a bubble, Jeff? Do it. Okay, yeah. well, I mean, the thing is, uh, Game 7, Kawhi hit the shot. It was amazing. Again, best moment in Toronto Raptors history. The team didn't play well in that game. Kawhi almost took 40 shots to get his 38, 40 points. And the rest of the team, I think the highest scoring guy besides Kawhi, was 13 points. That's not going to get it done against Milwaukee Bucks. And... I mean, so you need to see a lot more, not just from Kawhi in terms of his efficiency. I mean, he, he played incredibly throughout that series, but he didn't have a great Game 7. The rest of the roster has to step up if they're going to have a chance against someone like Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, because, I mean, this is a good team, isn't it, this Milwaukee Buck team? I mean, by definition, you're going to be a good team to get to the uh, conference final, but uh, the, the Raps are going to, do you think, have to find another gear, even uh, you know, a further one than they displayed against the Sixers? Absolutely, because, again, that was the... the um, 
the, the big factor of the, the series against Philadelphia is the Raptors didn't really play offensively very well throughout much of that series. It was the defensive battle. They improved their defensive play. They're going to have to continue to do that against Milwaukee, but they're going to need a lot more from the supporting cast than what they got in the first two rounds against Orlando and uh, Philadelphia because the Milwaukee Bucks are a different animal. They won 60 games in the regular season, and they are the number one seed. They're actually favored compared to the regular season record over Toronto in this series. Yeah, it's amazing because I think Toronto, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't the Raps have the best three-point percentage in the entire league during the regular season? And we just kept seeing brick after brick in that Sixers series. For the, I think it was from January 1st onward, they had the, the top three-point percentage. But yeah, they just, I mean, everyone went cold. And it's not just they went cold. Kawhi kind of played a little bit of hero ball. Like uh, Danny Green, I think, had one three-point attempt in that entire Game 7. He's one of your top shooters. He needs more looks than that. So they need to find something to kind of unleash this offense and get everyone involved. So I'd like to see Kawhi be more of a, a playmaker, especially in Game 1, because it's also going to depend on who gets the defensive assignment of Giannis Antetokounmpo, because Kawhi's not going to be able to play with as much energy on the offensive end if he has to be tracking Giannis throughout the entire series. Who are you going to look for on the Raptors side uh, to see uh, you know, uh, key on in terms of they've stepped up their performance and are really going to help the, the, the Raps? Is it Gasol? Is it somebody else? I think it has to be Kyle Lowry. Like, yeah. w- where is he, right? He's He's been 1-1A for the Toronto Raptors pretty much his entire career here in the city, so he really needs to step it up and become that 1-1A with Kawhi in this series for the Raptors to even have a chance to make it to the NBA Finals. All right, let's uh, shift over to the Maple Leafs uh, quickly because they made some news yesterday, resigning President Brendan Shanahan to a brand-new uh, six-year deal. Uh, what does that mean, if anything, uh, for the club? Honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, I, to me, it seems like what Brendan Shanahan uh, has done so far, he's pretty much finished, I would think, his duties. I mean, he brought in Kyle Dubas. He's kind of revamped the entire scouting and analytics department. He's set up the Toronto Maple Police very well. So to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what his president duties will include going forward. I don't know how work, how closely he works with Kyle Dubas in terms of getting uh, Mitch Marner signed, because I know they had a meeting, uh, Dubas Shanahan and Mitch Marner's representation earlier in the week. But I mean, the five years have been very successful for Brendan Shanahan. I'm just not sure what else he's going to do over the next six years. How valuable is it that he has been there? He's a former player, somebody that current players respect. Uh, you know, he had a great run with the Red Wings, uh, of course. That's it. He knows how to get it done. That uh, I mean, I think his first four or five years here was to steady the ship and steady the organization. That's been done now. So is Shanahan's duty is to try to teach some of these players how to win. I think so, but I mean, does that really fall to the president of the club to do that? So, I mean, to me, it seems like he's done what he was brought in to do. He, as you mentioned, he kind of uh, righted the ship. It's on course. It's trending very well with the team. But in terms of overall managing the organization, I guess it depends on if Shanahan has decided to fully hand over the keys to Kyle Dubas or is he still kind of pulling the strings with Kyle as we continue to move forward here. And then the relationship between Kyle Dubas and Mike Babcock, maybe that's the key for Brendan Shanahan right now, is kind of acting as a mediator between those two. All right, and uh, finally, the PGA Championship, the second major of the year in golf, tees off tomorrow in uh, New York at uh, Bethpage Black. And uh, one of the big uh, news items coming out of this is John Daly, who is a former PGA champ, former major winner of this event, but he will be in a golf cart because of uh, knee problems. He uh, applied for and got a special exemption, but there are some others, traditionalists, who believe that uh, golf is a sport that you've got to walk. That's an essential part of the sport, is that 
the walking part of it, and that he has now been given uh, some compensation and uh, perhaps an unfair advantage. Mike, how do you see it? I think there's a lot to unpack here. It's not unprecedented because in the Champions Tour, which John Daly typically golfs on, so over 50, you are allowed to use a a cart. So that is in the rules. And if you think back to 2001, when Casey Martin, who had a a birth defect, made made it very difficult for him to walk, he was the first person to be able to use a cart on the PGA Tour. So, I mean, I see your point where... Part of walking is part of the sport of golf, but there already has been a precedent set that you are able to use a cart in certain situations. I think a lot of people have a problem with potentially John Daly having it because of just how he's kind of lived his life over the past 25 years. Mm -hmm. His injuries, I think he he mentioned diabetes, the osteoarthritis, are almost self-inflicted considering he's kind of a big partier, drinker, smoker, didn't really take care of himself. And I think people have the problem with now he's able to use a card. I think that's what they struggle with. Well, yeah, that's the argument that I've seen in red as well because a lot of people are uh, citing Casey Martin uh, back, uh, was that in the late 90s? It was 2001 is when he had the the Supreme Court decision. Then he played in a few tournaments after 2000. And he had a circulation uh, problem that limited his mobility, and that was something from birth, which is something uh, you know people are saying is entirely different than uh, John Daly. As uh, you mentioned, a lot of uh, you know what he's suffering now, you could argue, is uh, self-inflicted, and that they should not have given him the special exemption. Exactly, and. I don't really know another parallel in sports to compare this to because say if you have an arm injury in tennis and you can't uh, serve overhand, well, then you can just serve underhand. Like there's not a a special dispensation on the tennis court. If you're not able to run that you can use perhaps a wheelchair or something like that. That's why there's kind of the Paralympics and other avenues for people with, um, with ability challenges, they can kind of play in a different avenue. I don't, maybe the best example would be in a, a sport or activity like darts, you have to be able to stand and throw the dart. So if you can't stand, are you allowed to sit and then throw the dart? That's kind of the similar thing with using a cart in golf because he's making all the shots. It's just getting from shot to shot to shot. That's when he's using the cart. So it is, it's, it's kind of a messy situation. And I wonder if this is going to kind of open up a can of worms because Tiger Woods, he mentioned he's not a fan of this because he said, well, I want a major on a broken leg. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think we get that uh, clip here because uh, when it comes to golf, it always comes back to Tiger. And when Tiger was asked about this, uh, this is what he said. As far as JD taking a cart, well, I walked with a broken leg, so... <laughs> there you, you know go. where he stands. Of course, uh, referencing 2008 in the U.S. Open uh, win in uh, San Diego at uh, Torrey Pines. Mike Arsno, good to see you as always, my friend. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff.